Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Graham, and welcome to SkewCast, the podcast that explores the who, what, why, and how of the promotional products industry. SkewCast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SkewCast is the official podcast of Common Skew. If you like what you hear, make sure to keep in touch by subscribing to the show on iTunes or at our blog, community.commonskew.com. And with that, let's get to it. In today's episode, we are going to take a deep dive into the world of marketing and more specifically, how to create an effective marketing plan. The most successful suppliers and distributors today are those that understand that marketing deserves an equal spot alongside sales. After all, good marketing often separates the winners from the losers in the rapidly evolving and hyper-competitive promotional products industry. This is a special two-part series focused on how to do marketing right. You are listening to our second of two episodes where we look at the world of marketing, this time from a supplier perspective. Our first episode featured Sam Brown of Brandvia, where we explored how distributors are using marketing effectively. Our guest today is Lee Strom, Chief Marketing Officer for Sanmar. Lee is based out of Sanmar's headquarters in Seattle and has been with the company for the last 15 years. Prior to joining Sanmar in the promotional products industry, Lee cut his teeth in the B2C world as he worked in marketing at Eddie Bauer and REI. In his time at Sanmar, the company has tripled in size, and it's not a stretch to say that marketing has played an important role in that growth. Today, we're going to learn about the art and science behind creating a marketing plan that delivers strong results. Lee, welcome to SkewCast. It's such an honor to have you here with us, my friend. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to be here. All right. Well, thank you, Lee. Uh, Why don't we jump right into it? So, Lee, can you tell me what a typical day in the life as Sanmar's chief marketing officer looks like? Yeah, so a, a typical day, probably not a, a surprise, is is really a misnomer. One thing I say about uh, the group that I lead here at Sanmar is it is the broadest mix of, of personalities in the company, and, and let me validate that. So within my team, I have the very left brain analytical group, the guys and gals who track statistics, emails, web stats, uh, they conduct research. And then I also have the team that is uh, involved in all things creative. So designers, copywriters, production artists, photographers, videographers. So it is quite a chorus of, of voices uh, of different types of people. And so I will move from talking just this morning is a great example. I will move from talking to my analytics team about post games on different promotions we've run. And then in the next meeting, I will talk to my creative team about uh, concepting and brainstorming that they're doing for an upcoming promotion. So I, um, I like to say I'm very center brained because I think that's uh, an attribute when it comes to, to lead the marketing team. Right. And when you think about the amount of time you spend with your creative side versus the analytical side, is it about 50-50? Would that be fair to say if you were to average it out throughout the year? I'd cut it right down the middle. Right. Right. That's interesting. Well, we'll get into the art and science uh, around marketing plans in a a little bit. Um, 
So I'm curious, prior to Sanmar, you worked in marketing at Eddie Bauer and then prior to that at REI. How did you find the move from marketing in a B2C retail environment to this B2B wholesale environment in the promotional products industry? I would say it is a big adjustment, and and here's why. When you're in the B2C world, when you run a a promotion, and let's say that promotion happens on a Friday and you have a, a store event or you have a web event, you know by Monday, heck, sometimes you know by two hours in on Friday, whether right. that trending successful or it's not. B2C, that direct and immediate understanding and feedback allows you to, to take that information and, and grow from it and act on it. In this world, I, uh, the biggest adjustment I had to make was we are the folks who supply to the actual people who sell our products, which are our customers. Right. And the incubation time of what our customers, what it takes for them to sell a product that maybe we bring out in a new catalog, could be weeks or months. And we may not know the success of a promotion or a product for that amount of time. And furthermore, we're, we're, we're distanced from actually where it's being worn because that's our customer's business. And so I really had to develop a different mentality about um, going with this good instincts, uh, being a good listener, and kind of understanding things in a more just trustful way than in the B2C world where, where it was very statistically driven. Right. And, and at Eddie Bauer, of course, you've got this direct relationship with the person who's wearing the shirt from, from Eddie Bauer. Whereas, uh, as you say, at Sanmar, your relationship is with the screen printer or with the distributor who in turn is selling to the end client who you don't know. That's that that it's almost like at Eddie Bauer, you were working for a distributor, whereas now you have gone to go work for a supplier. So I can imagine that can be alienating, although it's probably got some advantages, I suspect. Is that true? Yeah, I think it actually, I, I embrace it. It kind of frees you from just some of the, uh, I don't know, just chasing the next number. It's it, Trust me, Samar's in business to be successful, but we spend a lot of time working on things that are the softer side of of numbers, things that are about building relationships and things that are about trying to be supportive and and less about just necessarily chasing the next transaction. And and there, once I adjusted to that, which again took a while, um, I actually learned to embrace it because it meant that we had to work very cohesively as a team and 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 sort of just follow I guess, instincts that, that were coming forward to us. And I know that's a hard thing to, to maybe digest for people to hear that and go, well, how do I do that in my organization? I'm just saying that this model that's very relationship-driven and whatnot, you have to think differently than the B2C. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're, we're going to uh, switch gears here for a little bit and dive into some of the tactical parts of this. Uh, I'm curious, Lee, if you could lay out for me some of the key parts of a marketing plan. I absolutely can, and I and I, and I will. I'm going to I'm going to start with saying though that the rules are changing, and I'm going to start with the more traditional way of of developing a, a marketing campaign, and then I'll I'll sort of morph into how things how things are changing. 
So in a, in a traditional mode of building a marketing plan, we typically start with a, a analysis. And then the first analysis could be a situational analysis. How does the market exist right now with this type of uh, activity? So I, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to be self-promotional on this call, but I, but I will go ahead and, and use examples from SAMR because they're, well, Heck, I helped build them. So the example I would I would give is Samar has embarked and launched a new education portal called SamarU. Okay. Before we did that, we looked at where are our customers getting their product information, or how are they learning about uh, what the difference in waterproof breathable is, or critical seam sealed, how are they understanding when they go to sell outerwear this information that they can then effectively communicate that to their customers? And what we were finding is we have some industry trade associations that do a nice job of putting out some magazines and and some education content. And then there is the web, of course, that people can look. But there is a clear opportunity to help our customers build their competency in, in selling outerwear. So that was kind of the situational analysis, that there was a void in the market. Then you look at the competitive analysis. Who, who is doing this on our, on our competitive set and how are they doing it? Then you start working toward uh, who's the target audience? What are the, who are the people who could use this information and, and what do they do in life? And for us, we learned things like in talking to our customers is it not only was people who were selling wearables all day long, but maybe just didn't have that depth of knowledge, for instance, in selling outerwear. But there was also just in our industry, there are you know people who move in. And um, there was a lot of folks who said, gosh, this would help so much because Julie's joining the company. Julie, you know, is a smart gal, but but she could really use some help in understanding outerwear. So before she goes out to pitch it, she, she's got some of the basics there. So it was both existing customers and their new employees that, that we were looking at targeting. And then right. the target audience figured out, and then you start working toward, okay, what are the tactics of how you want, you have to develop the goals, I guess uh, I should start there. You got to develop the goals. What are you trying to do here? Are you trying to, um, first of all, set up a metric in terms of how your customers can, uh, you can measure how much they have gleaned uh, in terms of outerwear and then how that migrate, might migrate into sales for us. So the, these are just things that you need to write down, which are, which are the goals. From the goals, then you move into the strategy and then finally the tactics. Uh, that's, that's a traditional way of building a marketing plan. And, and when I say tactics, that's actually the very end product that everybody sees, which is like, uh, we will have a website, we will have videos, we will have um, uh, information papers, we will have case histories, those sort of things that people... Yeah, and, and sorry, before you move into the, 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 maybe the more modern way that's done, just as a way of summing that up, so it, it sounds like you've got a five-step process where you start off with this uh, situational analysis. It moves into the competitive analysis. Number three is identifying the target audience. 
Number four is developing your strategy. And then number five is then looking at the specific tactics that will help you um, uh, support that strategy. So that five-step process, is that, am, am I understanding that correctly? I, I don't know if I want to put a exact number on it, but I think directionally that's where it is. One thing right. I will say, Mark, is you know in this day and age, it doesn't take much to to go onto Google or Bing and type in elements of a marketing plan and, <laughs> and see a lot of the information I just shared. Yeah. But but yes, um, more or less, you got it. Right. Okay. N- now uh, now I think you were going to talk about more of the modern side um, and how you're seeing things evolve. Yeah. So. So what I'm referring to is the world is changing quickly, and I, 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 I'm um, probably not enlightening anybody much, but it, but it's got to be said, which is in the world of marketing and in the world of what's what's happening in, in at least North American consumers is that the our we we like to say now that our customers are consumers first, and they're starting to take intake information and expect information to them in such a way that it, it's easy to, to get at and it, it respects their habits and right. uh, it, it is able to solve their problems. Uh, great brands that have done this, uh, I happen to, as you mentioned, live in Seattle and this little company called Amazon is sort of rebuilding our entire downtown right now. Yep. And um, they have done an amazing job of setting the expectation for the consumer, which then translates into the expectation in our industry. Uh, other good example, and that's through uh, certainly everything they do with Prime Delivery. Uh, other good examples are Uber. You know, people didn't like the way taxi cabs ran, and if they show up, then you know they, um, you know they then a whole new market opened up for Uber to to help make that a better experience. Ways if you you know just wanted to find a the quickest way to get from here to there. Those are those are all good examples. So yeah. I, I guess what I'm tr- what I'm trying to get at is the way I explained the classic marketing plan was a bit of a how marketers have in the past through a push strategy. It's like, hey, we're going to do this, and then we're going to push it toward the end user and and just see what they think, or toward in our case the distributor. And now I think that the model needs to be more listening solving. And I think it makes a lot more sense. This idea actually for us launching SAMRU literally came out of a focus group situation that we had with customers. I'm embarrassed to say it, but it was years ago. Right. It just took us that long to get it done because of other priorities we had in the company. Yeah. But it was it's a classic example of I could be, you know, cranial and and you know, sort of come up with this approach that I think is just genius, but I think I'd be doing Samar a misservice if I wasn't instead taking the learnings of what our customers are are saying and pulling that together into an idea that would help them uh, and then, you know, and, and conserve it up. Because, you know, we recognize that our customers, about 30% or 40% of what they sell is wearables, at least the promotional products ones, and 70% yep. are hard. 60, 70% is hard goods. Well, damn, for them to... You know, not only know the hard goods, they and now they need to know also, you know, our industry or uh, you know the wearables group, and then and then all the specifics of it. It's just a daunting task for them. Right. So I think that the new model is more customer first. I think it's listening and solving, and it is then 
serving that up in the most meaningful way. I will tell you, when we went to develop SAMRU, where it started in terms of we were going to have certifications, we were going to do curriculum, it was all going to be very academic. And after talking to customers, we scrapped most of that, and it is much more sound biteable. It is much more uh, quick, easy, cheat sheet-driven uh, information that uh, are things that they can use uh, and, and digest very fast and, and even forward market on their customers so that they look like the expert even without having to, you know, memorize all the information. Right. And, and, and it's interesting because Sanmar has been around for such a long time that um, I, I think if I understand what you're saying correctly is that you're, you, uh, in, um, in the past, you would have employed more of these push tactics like, catalog and uh, email communication and pushing information out to your distributor base so that they could then in turn go and sell that to their end client. Um, nothing wrong with that strategy, but it sounds like you're now um, moving more into this pull approach where you're creating these educational models and creating more, uh, you're going beyond the product so that you can make the customer feel more successful and more educated as opposed to just putting another flyer in their hand. Thank you for saying it the way I couldn't. Yes, that is that is spot on. We are um, uh, we are still super guilty of the push part, and unapologetically, uh, we put out a lot of catalogs. I, I publish a lot of emails. Um, we definitely do those things, but yeah. we are definitely doing a lot more in terms of education uh, trends uh, and. Now, uh, a selling occasion, ide- ideation pieces versus here. Here's the perf- you know. Here's the catalog. Go forth and sell. Now yeah. we're like, hey, here's here's ideas that target the, um, you know, how you can sell for golf events or how you can target schools. And we're just we're just curating ideas. You guys go forth and and use this the way you want it. That, yeah. that is definitely a change in how we are doing business from a market. Right, 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 right. Well, it's so interesting to see how it is that you're starting to evolve. Um, I want to move on and I want to talk money. So I'm a, I'm a supplier listening to this or I'm a distributor that's listening to this and I'm now, I'm, I'm on side with um, the basic tenets of a marketing plan, but how do I now determine my marketing budget? Is there a rule of thumb as a percentage of sales that you'd recommend, or am I thinking about it the wrong way? No, again, this is uh, this is in flux. Uh, we'll start with traditional. So when I worked at those the two brands you mentioned before, um, uh, REI and Eddie Bauer, uh, one of them, and I, I won't. It's been a long time ago now, uh, but one of them had a 4% uh, marketing as a percentage of sales budget, and the other one had about 10. Right. Uh, those are high. In B2B, via research I've done with Forrester, 65% of B2B companies have a 1% to 2% marketing as a percent of sales budget, so okay. it's less. Right. Probably because we're not buying expensive television ads. We're not buying um, the the more traditional media that cost a whole lot of money. Right. So right. That that is what I will tell you. That the thing that I will also tell you that you know I look good to ownership right now because my budget is probably the one that's shrinking. And you right. may be going, oh, and why is that happening? Well, here's why. 
is my budget has been heavily uh, vested in print. Yep. And although we are doing lots of print and will continue to do so for, for many years, it is declining. Right. So whereas, yeah, not surprised. Uh, where we're picking up our expense load would be in the web, but in a lot of companies, does that belong in the marketing budget or does it belong in the IT budget? And so the traditional marketing as a percentage of sales, you're going to have to consider, you know, what is the web investment and, and where do you want to put that money? Right. Because uh, we're, we're still trying to decide that as well, but, right. but that's just an FYI in terms of, you know, be careful on exactly what percent of sales should be marketing because it may now be marketing and technology. It, it, it may be in another budget. And I also think, Lee, that it's also a function of your gross margin. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Eddie Bauer is probably dealing at a different gross margin level than Sanmar is. And of course, we're not looking for specific details. But the reason I ask you that is that a typical supplier usually enjoys smaller margins than that of a distributor. So if I'm listening to this as a distributor and my I may have lower sales volume than a typical supplier, but I've got a higher gross margin, um, do you reckon that that would then um, adjust the marketing budgets upwards as a percentage of sales if your margins are higher? Yes. Uh, plus, re- you know, those brands have infrastructures that we do not. Them retail you know, would be... Storefronts. Another would be if they have aggressive catalog or print mailing strategies. Uh, another would be that, you know, it's just the fact that, you know, when you work in clothing brands, returns are high. Right. We don't have, we have returns, but they're not at the level that yep. the retail brands see. So, sure. yes, they have to have higher margins because they have higher expense. Yep. And, and Mark, yep, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, uh, marketers talk a lot about ROI and how if you're going to be putting money towards a catalog or towards a Google AdWords spend or whatever the case may be, that at the end of the day, you need to track ROI. And I'm guessing that's probably what your analytics team does, the one that you mentioned at the beginning. Do you have any tips for how you currently track ROI for each investment you make? Uh, yeah. So I want to start by saying that we, we try to track everything. What is harder to do is always understand ROI. I, I don't think we're unique in that way. I can tell you that we put out a big book and it includes every product Samar has and we do it once a year. I know yep. to Nat's eyelash how much that costs to do. I yep. also know it is still number one, maybe maybe it's tied with, with the web for how people are engaging with our product. I don't have to yep. do much more ROI than know that without it, we couldn't do a whole lot of sales. Right. So, but what's getting harder is that we've had like niche or brand efforts that we've done where we maybe will send out a sports tech catalog, our, our athletic brand, and we're saying, well, how much of that catalog give us back in money? Yep. So in the old days, you could have a tested control group. So you would hold out this group of people that look just like everybody you mailed to, and you would, at the at the end of you know six months, you might look at how did they buy the brand, the the holdout group versus the people who got the catalog? And you knew because there would be a difference between their habits. Well, now, because people intake information in so many different ways, specifically, you know, via the web, are, it muddies up all that information. Right. And so it's, we're not able 
to necessarily determine that. So I don't want to say it's, it's, it's impossible, but I think you have to take a more long-term view on, on a lot of the different tactics, and you have to have a comfort level with what you're doing. Lord knows that, again, I'll pick on Amazon, they, you know, they didn't make money for, for years and years and years because they were, they were investing in the infrastructure. Well, now they're, I think next year they'll be the number one clothing brand in the world. Yeah. Or at least not brand, but seller. And, um, and, and so I think we can't be Amazons and I, I kind of don't always, I don't necessarily want to over mention them, but, but I, I do think what you can, you have to look at things a little beyond just the immediate payback. And, and you have to look at indicators. What are your open rates on your emails? What are your click-through rates? What are your um, download rates on, on materials you're providing people? What are your social media? You just look at all those things and you, and you, you put together a picture of what is resonating people and what is not, and then you build it to a better, uh, you build your portfolio better so that you're stimulating people more with stuff that is meaningful to them. Right, right, right. And as as a follow up to that, so I'm I'm curious about new marketing channels. So I'm sure that you're entertaining new ways to spend your marketing dollars at Sanmar, and I know that people listening to this podcast are are also in um, in that evaluation mode as well. Do you have any tips for how to quickly assess the efficacy of a new marketing channel? Um, and I know that you just mentioned that it's important to take a long-term view and to be patient, but when you don't have a lot of money and you're trying to assess this new fandangled idea, um, is there a way that you can kind of quickly test it for not a lot of money and inside of, you know, say 30 to 60 days to know whether it's the right or wrong thing for you? Yeah, absolutely. Especially on the web. And, and one thing, uh, good, bad, or otherwise is, People, the, the pace of which things are happening in our world, people move along quickly. Yeah. So I'm not saying you do a big bang launch of something and then you change it, you know, a month later. That could be super dangerous. But I think you can float ideas and test things via the web that allows you to determine if you've hooked on to something really good or you haven't. I think right. the thing you need to be careful of is if you don't, you better have the confidence to fail and and to not continue to fail, but to move on and realize, yep. hey, that was a good investment in learning, but I'm not going to keep doing that. Right. Um, I, you know, we're definitely testing a lot this year. Um, we are testing a lot of what we're calling selling occasions where we're putting out curated collections on uh, the top selling or the top in uses for promotional apparel and just seeing if people like it. Right. And so far so good, but it's very possible that, and, and I already know some are doing better than others. So I am going to probably not continue the ones that are not doing as well. Right. And I'll probably be critical on what I might do more of for next, you know, as I, as I continue to move along. Right. So I also think that it's very good to crawl, walk around on a lot of things. And, and I think that in this day and age, you can do that. Uh, it's a heck of a lot more expensive to put out a catalog and see if it works. And yes. Put something on the web if you're getting yes. invites. 
Yeah. Well, I could imagine that when you first came to Sanmar here, you were starting, you know, 2000 or 2001 and you come into this uh, kind of pre-social media world. The web, of course, was around, but it was still um, the very, very early days. So uh, some of the things that you're talking about right now were not not even possible or not even on your radar screen at the time. So that's uh, that could probably be a whole other podcast, like the evolution of Lee Strom from like <laughs> from offline marketer to <laughs> online marketer. And that, I think that would be fascinating. Um you mentioned at the beginning, Lee, that you that you have this split between your analytical uh, team members and your creative, uh, more brand uh, oriented team members. I'm curious as to your view on what percentage of marketing is art versus science. Yeah, same split. It's fifty yeah. fifty. Yeah. Um, I um, and I tell you, if you're doing a good job, or I think any any leader needs to be a listener leader and you need to get out of the way, especially, you know, with what I do, everybody who works for me is better at what they do than I am. And you yeah. have to humble yourself because out, uh, they can go ahead and out, um, perform me in terms of analytics and they certainly can, you know, I have the creative knowledge on my pinky compared to my, right. my creative members. So you have to have a lot of confidence in that regard. But yeah. I, it really is that the, there is the creative emotional connection that is super, super important. Uh, and that's and then there is the but it's got to be steeped in research and stats and, and past experience, which is where the analytical piece comes in. So uh, and I do my very darndest to 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 work with, you know, all my areas equally and not think anyone's more important than anybody else because because they're not we're all right. important together right and i i think that is i i think that you're probably right that that is the correct percentage in in marketing i mean i think i was thinking of um a brand like apple um as you were just talking there and i think that some people might say that apple's marketing is mostly art because they have created this incredible emotional connection with their user base and their customers. They have these beautiful ads, the beautiful ad copy. Everything they do is just so artistic. And of course, Steve Jobs, when he started the company, was a liberal arts, um, I think a liberal arts dropout from school and was obsessed with uh, fonts <laughs> and typography. Yeah. Um, so I, I, a company like Apple has certainly come by that very honestly. But then if you were to uh, really press their marketing folks, I think that you would also see this huge other side to them that tracks each and every interaction with their brand. And that is, of course, more of the the uh, the ones and zeros, the uh, the mathematics side of the business. And I think that there is a yin, a yin and yang. And if you're all one, if you're all science, then you, you're probably not going to emotionally connect with your customers. And if you're all art, you may um, you may have this beautiful advertising, but you don't have the ability to assess whether your campaigns are successful and you just throw, uh, you know, throw, throw money at, at, uh, at the problem. So I think it's a good answer. I think, you know, it's our answer. There are definitely, you, you mentioned a good example and, uh, there either, there are product driven companies and there are marketing driven companies, but I think a lot of us fall right in the middle. Yeah. So I, I had mentioned in, in my introduction that there is this relationship between the marketing department and the sales department. Um, 
I am, I'm going to make a comment that some people may agree or disagree with, but uh, based on my experience in this industry is that the promotional products industry, whether you're a supplier or particularly a distributor, that sales is um, what drives the agenda. Um, distributors will focus a lot on investing in their salespeople and, uh, and suppliers have got very large, sophisticated sales forces. I know Sanmar certainly does. Um, and so, so we, we, we're in an environment where sales is very, very important. And I'm really curious, uh, within that environment, how marketing works best with their sales colleagues. Um, you can give, I, I'm curious for you to give two answers. I want you to tell me how it works at Sanmar because you're clearly a bellwether company for the industry. But then I'm also curious as to whether you might be able to give your advice to other people that are struggling to create this effective relationship between the two. So my, my, uh, my Samar answer, and I think it would be my answer for the industry, is that we are in a relationship-driven business. And we, um, I consider marketing a, a quote-unquote client to the sales team. Right. And and when I say sales, I actually use the broader reach of sales, which is our sales force here at Samar, but our customers. Right. And I really, I also consider our sales team the number one marketing tactic that I have. And if I can get them on board, then I stand a heck of a lot better chance of having a successful product or you know promotion yep. than if I just try to do it on my own. Yeah. So. You know, we are just in that super relationship-driven industry. If we weren't, we'd have gone the way of the travel industry years ago. And I, things are changing. There's, there's no doubt about it. And actually, as they change, marketing is becoming more important. It's not an ego trip on marketers' parts. It's just true. Relationships are moving to the web, and relationships start looking like things like ratings and reviews, and they start looking like uh, product recommendations and, and just rich content that is available to people uh, who don't, who aren't necessarily as interested in picking up the phone or, or meeting with someone. And that's part of the generational change. So I think that's the, that, you know, that, that's the truth of the matter. As far as my advice, um, I, I really think that um, it's, it's so much easier to say than to do is that you need to develop a culture of listening and you need to develop a culture of just making sure that there's mutual respect in those areas. Um, there's always going to be, you know, I tend to think of salespeople as super optimistic and we can do anything and, you know, how hard can it be, you know, and, and whereas, you know, us in marketing, we're more like, hey, you know, it takes time to, you know, build this catalog. No, I can't give it you all the new products, you know, three months early for your special client because they haven't been proof for pricing right, and copy right. and accuracy. And so, you know, we, so we're a little more maybe uh, process-oriented than right. they are, but right. we have to, and they need us to be. So right. it's really a matter of, of developing those relationships that, kind of educate and support each other. Uh, but I make it a point to show up at the, at the annual sales meetings at the, uh, and, and be a part of their agenda, uh, to, to be a part of their training, to do the, the, the web uh, video training that they do so that I'm not a stranger. And they yeah. also do it a part to say, hey, can we listen in on your focus grouping? Can we listen in on 
you know, we get feedback loops from our web. I'm giving all Sandmar straight tickets. We get feedback loops on our, you know, all the comments that come through the web, all the comments that come through the phone to make sure they come to us. Every Monday morning I get, here's what customers are saying, so that, yep. that we're trying to, 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 to understand what they hear every day right. when they're out in the field. Right. Well, and I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about the, the very traditional relationship is that marketing's job is to provide qualified leads for the sales team who can then go out and land the order or in Samar's case, land the relationship that will generate a strong lifetime value for, for the distributor. Um, and if you're not providing an environment where the sales person can go out and land um, a new relationship, then, you know, your, your, your role is questionable. So um, I, I definitely see that there is that strong respect for both parties and that the marketers who work the best with sales colleagues can put themselves in the salesperson's shoes, but at the same time can also represent maybe that other side of the personality. I mean, you, you didn't say it. I, I said conservative, but I was also going to jokingly say that you might be the killjoy <laughs> when the salesperson's yeah. really optimistic and you're like, well, no, I, I can't quite give that to you or, hey, we just have to go and you know, maybe, maybe take a closer look at it, but, um, and I didn't want to put words in your mouth there, but it sounds to me that having those two different personality types within the organization as represented by sales and marketing is, is, is probably not a bad thing. Nope. And diversity is a good thing. So yeah, yeah I would agree. Mark. Um, all right. So we've been talking a lot about your role as a supplier. I'm not sure this is a fair question, but I'll throw it out at you anyhow. Um, so I want you to imagine for a moment that you were the head of marketing for a distributor. How would you approach your role differently, or would you? Um, I would. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I, I'm humbled by many of our customers, and uh, I, you know, I um, I envy them. Um, Marty Lott, our owner, has a saying that all of our customers wake up unemployed in the morning. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's just a wonderful little soundbite because what it means and what it does to us is it humbles us to go, look, they are the ones who have to make the cash register ring for us and, yeah. and that exercise a whole lot of respect. And, and that, that, you know, that can also be stressful and it can, it can be daunting because you work hard to pitch something and then it doesn't come your way. But, um, with that said, I, I would, uh, there, there's a lot that I would do the same, but there are things, you know, I, I, I would probably do do differently than I do in my role here. But it would start with kind of everything should start with listening anymore and trying to shorten the distance between what customers are looking for and how they can get there. Um, I would be focused more on freshen up pitch presentations. I'd really try to understand who I'm talking to. Uh, and and I would be all over their website, and I try to put together something meaningful that they go, God, you did your research. That looks like us. Right. Um, along those lines, I would spec sample um, or virtually spec sample anyway. You can get anybody's web or anybody's logo on the web anymore. So I'd be pasting those onto products, or I'd be spending the money to do a spec sample to uh, to show them how the product really looks because. You know, it's proven that when people see something, they, they identify with it more when their logo's on it. Yep. Um, I would be definitely trying to do what I could to co-brainstorm with my clients uh, and, and make it fun for them to do it. Right. Uh, and then I would 
lean on my supplier partners because I certainly know who they are because I work for one. I'd like, okay, you guys, um, you know, uh, if we're going to be able to bring you this business, um, how can I most easily get your imagery? How, how can you help me understand trends so that when I go to talk to my customer next time, they could understand what where they might want to migrate because of things that are happening in the uh, consumer world or, or just in their personal lives that are kind of cool that they could apply to their own uh, their own apparel uniforming program or, or whatnot. Right. Um, so these are just the kind of things that I would um, I would look at to to, to be more meaningful and um, and serve up I think stimulating stuff to the end user. Right. And and at the same time, I imagine there would also be some consistency with your approach. Um, if I go back to one of your earlier answers about this marketing plan. You know, whether we're calling it a four step or a five step process, you know, I don't think we necessarily need to hold you to that. But this idea of this situational analysis, this competitive analysis, target audience, um, strategizing and then thinking about tactics is, I imagine, exactly the same thing that you would do in a distributor environment as much as you're doing in a supplier environment. It's just the answers are slightly different because, of course, the target audience is different. So once you recognize that, well, how do you go about speaking their language and connecting with them and applying the science to marketing to make sure that you are able to drive sales? Right, Mark. And, and the only thing I would add on to that is know your audience. If yes. they are a entrepreneurial company by heart, going in with a lot of structured information, just may they may be bored by page two. Um, <laughs> if they're a bank... <laughs> they may be stimulated and can't wait for page three. You know, yeah. I just think you need to understand, you know, um, the culture there and and serve it up dynamically the way that they would find. Right. Cool. Yeah. right. Well, Lee, I've got one more question for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Really appreciate all of the time and uh, all of all of my are uh, putting up with all of my questions here. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Um, go back a little bit and or go up a little bit here and I want to talk about challenges that you see ahead for our industry and I'm curious as to whether you see the marketing discipline playing a role in addressing the challenges that you see ahead for our, for our industry. Yeah, so I, I think I really try to live by the glass half full rule. I, maybe it's maturity in the career but I'm just not as um, I just don't get as daunted by challenges um, you've got to embrace change in marketing or at least be comfortable with it um, and so sounds a little sappy but challenges are just opportunities in disguise I think we've heard these things from you know inspirational speakers or whatnot but I think that the challenge is what I mentioned earlier is that the relationship as we know it is changing and the consumer is more informed whereas in the old days you set up a rolling rack, you know, go in there, our presentation, and, and, and share with staff and bring coffee and donuts or whatnot, and and it was fun, um, but that that's just harder to do, and I think um, in this day and age, you, you really need to understand how you can stimulate people um, with their B2C Lives, millennials. It's it's well known. Like to make decisions by by posse and committee. Um, they aren't as prone to. They don't even know the phone is for talking on. You know, it's for texting and 
and staying yep. connected. Yep. And and they aren't as keen to necessarily having a, a push presentation. Uh, so you really have to sort of find those other ways to work with them, uh, which could be via social. It could be, you know, just sending, you know, a curated page of cool imagery and say, check it out. Um, and and that those are just things that you have to sort of look to now to to be different and and their b2c lives mean that they're um expecting things quicker they're expecting them um you know the just more robust information available they want to do their own research uh and these are all things where you have to you have to kind of open up um your company a little more to that to, to providing that kind of information right so, right uh, that's, that's i really do think that's where we're going and, and companies that are, are willing and able to evolve in that direction are, are in the end going to, going to do better. Right. So it sounds like the thing that, uh, and I, I don't really think you're the kind of guy who necessarily stays up at night about this kind of stuff, but it sounds to me that from a challenge perspective, you're seeing the target audience starting to evolve, whether they're, you know, younger customers in the marketplace or just even customers that have just shifting expectations as to how they're working with their suppliers or, or their distributor uh, vendors. And that the role that marketing plays in all of this is to evolve from being push oriented towards pull oriented or providing these um, educational experiences that make the brand relevant in 2016, as opposed to relevant in 1997. Um, and, as someone who has always loved the art and science of marketing, um, I'm really enthusiastic about where marketing sits in the mix today more than any other time, particularly within this industry. Because as I said at the beginning, I really feel it's those suppliers and distributors that embrace marketing effectively are the ones that are able to truly differentiate evolve and to really speak authentically to their customer base. And the ones that don't get that are the ones that are getting left behind. And that's good news for the people that are investing in marketing. So, um, it, it's, it, it sounds like, um, it's, it, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're dealing and evolving with these issues uh, quite effectively at Sanmar. So congratulations. Uh, we're, we're trying. And that's one thing I, I would, I do want to say, Mark, is nobody should be daunted. Things are changing year by year, not day by day. Yeah. And you have to try things and and that's really the most you know pressure you should put on yourself is that, you know, let's try some new things or let's look at doing some different things. As long as you're pushing yourself to to sort of evolve that you're you're heading down the right path. Right. Well, those are wise words, my friend. Uh, really appreciate all the time that you spent uh, here today, Lee. Uh, this was really, really interesting, and I know that uh, the Common Ski community is um, going to be better off for it. So thank you so much for all of your time and expertise. Hey, it was my pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.